You're listening to Campus Review Radio. I'm Patrick Avenal and I'm the news editor for Campus Review. Professor Steve Clark from Charles Sturt University's School of Humanities and Social Sciences is a philosopher specialising in issues related to conscientious objection. He recently co-authored a paper on the obligations of parents who object on religious, moral or philosophical reasons to vaccinating their children. I spoke with Professor Clark about those obligations and other issues relating to conscientious objection, and I started by asking for an overview of his research and its findings. It's a piece of philosophy, and I co-authored it with Alberto Giubilini, who now works at Oxford, and Mary Walker, who now works at Monash at the time, both of them at Charles Sturt University. Um, now, we received a um, grant from the Australian Research Council, a discovery grant, to fund research on conscientious objection in healthcare, and one of the issues under that broad umbrella was looking at conscientious objection to vaccination. So this paper is about vaccination, and um, we're particularly interested in the idea of conscience and make, trying to make sense of that, and we worry that the practices that our society has in relation to conscientious objection are sort of vastly different in different contexts, and when you start thinking about why that might be, it doesn't make much sense. So in this paper, we've looked at the military analogy, we've looked at how conscientious objection is dealt with in the military context, and asked if there are lessons to be learned for how you might deal with conscientious conscientious objection to vaccination, and our answer is yes. So, so what are some of those lessons? Well, we think the main point that uh, is, and this is sort of taken as given with conscientious objection in the military context, is that people who are genuine conscious, found to be genuine conscientious objectors, are expected make a contribution to society in lieu of the, um, what they would otherwise do, which they're objecting to. So if they're conscripted to uh, serve in the military for a period of time and they refuse to do it on conscientious grounds, then our expectation is that they would uh, serve in a non-combat capacity or perform some form of community service for that period of time. Has, is that um, sorry to interrupt? Is that historically what has happened during the major yes. conflicts? Yes, it has. Since uh, well, I mean, before the First World War, it was very controversial that anyone should be allowed to be a conscientious objector. After then, it became clear that uh, it was widely accepted that we should accept conscientious objections in the military, at least in Western countries. Um, there are some countries we can't be conscientious. Thank you. 
conscientious objector to vaccination is imposing this risk on the community, they owe a commensurate duty to compensate the community for that risk. Uh, so, similar to the, the military case. Now, the um, compensation in question, it's uh, not easy to work out exactly what it should be because it's going to be different for different diseases. But a sort of a, a rough uh, solution to this problem, which we think is kind of good, is the Australian no gender pay policy, where um, a range of um, childcare and family benefits are withheld from conscientious objectors to vaccination. Is there a difference between a conscientious objector and a person who chooses not to vaccinate their kids because they believe in the conspiracy theories regarding vaccination? Yes, now that's a really good point. Um, so we understand a conscientious objector um, to be someone who has a moral, religious or philosophical objection. Um, now, um, there might be other forms of objection to vaccination. In fact, we think a lot of people who object and think of themselves as conscientious objectors to vaccination are actually, vac- are actually objectors on evidential, not conscientious grounds. Um, and we think that the most practical solution to this is education, that um, most of the people who have these evidential objections um, suffer from having um, only listened to a narrow range of views or having got their information from anti-vaccination websites and so on. Um, and um, they're entering into a different sort of dispute. So they, they don't come under the heading conscientious objector at all. Unfortunately, the way these things are organised in Australia, um, they are considered to be conscientious objectors in effect, which we think they should not be. So what are some of the reasons that true conscientious objectors object conscientiously? Well, um, some of them um, have religious views. Um, so the religious view might be that we, not, not, we ought not to interfere in God's plan. So if God wants us to get diseases, then um, God knows best, so we shouldn't intervene. Um, some of them uh, have uh, sort of philosophical views and the philosophical views might be on sort of libertarian line that um, uh, the government ought not to coerce anyone so um, now someone who has this view will not only be against um, you know, compulsory vaccination, they'll be against presumably compulsory taxation compulsory voting and so on um, and you might think that there are perhaps um, moral views as well that um, people would have their perhaps um, views about um, the uh, medical establishment and so forth. And those sort of views get more mixed up with the conspiracy theories you mentioned earlier, but there could be a sort of moral dimension to them as well. And so you think that uh, if people are exercising sincere views along those lines, that they should be allowed to uh, uh, be withdrawn from vaccination, but they should have to make a, a, a contribution in another way. Now, 
what are some other alternatives besides the financial uh, penalty? Because for some people, that's not going to be an issue at all. For others, it's going to be too onerous an issue. Well, it depends how the financial penalties are set up. So, I mean, if you made it a proportion of income rather than sort of, uh, outside of vaccinations, what other types of conscientious objections have you researched in your career? Okay, well, there's a sort of big debate about uh, conscientiously objecting doctors that um, we've had a look at. So, um, you've got cases, well, I mean, the, the best known one is doctors who don't want to perform abortions, so conscientious objectors. Um, but there are also uh, other controversial cases. You've got chemists who, con- who conscientiously object to, say, um, providing contraceptives. Um, and then there are sort of more esoteric cases. So there was a case, I think, last year in America of a conscientious objector to registering a, uh, a gay, uh, I think, not a marriage, but a civil partnership. Um, so, and um, you have these cases in other countries where, um, uh, say, hotel owners don't want to um, admit gay couples on conscientious grounds. So, so they're all in a range of different cases. And, and what are your thoughts on those t- issues that you raised? Well, we, or at least I, and I shouldn't speak for my co-authors here, because they... Uh, admittedly rare cases where a child that has uh, you know, a fatal uh, disease say cancer, their parents decide to withdraw the child from treatment. We, there was one, uh, one case that made news last year in Western Australia. D- do you think that uh, parents have the right to make those uh, decisions on behalf of their children or should uh, it sort of be impelled upon them to 
undergo all types, all available treatments. Right. Now, this is uh, getting further astray from the main topic. Um, I mean, the, the cases I'm most familiar with are cases of Jehovah's Witness parents who don't want their children to receive blood transfusions. And in those cases, um, doctors have gone to courts to say, look, if we don't give blood transfusions to these children, they're going to die, so we should uh, override um, uh, parental rights in this case. Um, so I think by parity of reasoning, and I, again, I'm not familiar with the case, if the child's life is in danger, then the parents should not um, um, be entitled to withdraw the child from treatment. But, you know, I mean, the consequences may be less severe. 